I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Thursday, Thursday, y'all. No, it's not Thursday, Thursday, it's 30 Thursday. It's First Gen Thursday in the First Gen Lounge. That's what we're going to start going with, okay? We're going to have to find some kind of like something for this Thursday. But yeah, y'all, I'm super, super excited to be here today with a First Gen Jamaican graduate. Let me just put that out there. Who is... Diara Clark, and she is from, where are you from, from Philly? From, from, no, from Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, let's get it, get it together. They different. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get tossed out of like, you know, cut up enough that's getting it wrong. <laughs> but I'm really, really excited to have you on the show and to have connected with you. And I'm just looking forward to, you know, hearing all the wonderful things you have to share with us because, like, I like the flavor you're bringing. So, I can't, my, look, my kick it off question, if you don't mind, tell us who you are and what is it that you do? Yes. So I am an artist. I'm an educator. I'm a daughter. <laughs> I'm, I play a whole lot of roles. But in terms of what I bring and the things that I try to produce into the world, I'm definitely an educator and a yogi. And my art is always, sometimes it's difficult to say that I'm an artist just because I feel like that is one of the things that's woven into everything. But I'm a, I'm a creative and a first-gen Jamaican girl who has enjoyed I've enjoyed you know just the newness of what what our age and what our era is bringing and that's what cool it's funny I heard that Jamaican because I was like okay I didn't catch an accent from you the first time we talked uh-huh. and so you know but I, again I know everybody didn't from you know the islands they don't have accents especially if they were first generation Americans too but it's really fun that you can imitate your folks like that like okay <laughs> but no but really but really really cool so um just really interested to know too because you're in Pennsylvania which is you know far away from Jamaica. It's not just a little, you know, plane ride across the water. So I want to know from you, like, how did your family even get to Pennsylvania, if you even know that part? And how has, because I, I know you mentioned it before, being a first-generation Jamaican, I mean, you've experienced education, but I would also say American culture, different from even what your parents did. So how they get to where they are and how has it shaped your upbringing? Those are my questions. Yeah, so my father is also a musician. He came to Pittsburgh by by way of music. His family is actually in between Jamaica and England. And so there's, we got a lot of family, a little bit everywhere. But his his main vessel was coming over for music. He had played music all his life. I think it was that he had an opportunity with, I think it was the Boys and Girls Club. He's, if I get this wrong, he's going to fill away. But I think it was the Boys and Girls Club. And they were like, you know, he had formed a band with a few other musicians. He was the lead singer and keyboard player. And he got here and they were touring, I think they actually went to like California first and then somehow he ended up in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh didn't really have a lot of a, a reggae scene at all until he got here and so by the time he got here he was like oh you know people were ready for him people were like oh what is this because they kind of had the watered down version of reggae you know so people were excited like authentic Jamaicans here doing you know reggae Pittsburgh is a really even though it's up north it's a very segregated city so he was able to 
Oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's very segregated. And so he, I think he brought a lot of people together and brought a lot of people out because reggae is really all about love. It's just all about love and peace. And so he stayed, and then he met my mom, and you know, kind of went from there. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. tone through the night. No, what? <laughs> nothing wrong with it. Actually, I would tell you, I have I have a fondness for Jamaica and for Jamaicans. Period. I got married in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very intentional move. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, and I believe that. In my past life, I had to have been some kind of Caribbean because it's it's beautiful. Islands are beautiful, the people. But yeah, no, anyway, for another day. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like even the artistry is just in your blood, you know, like it, it's who you are. So thinking of who you are, you know, yeah, what is it that you do? Like, you know, who are you? You know, again, coming from a first-gen Jamaican background, but who have you evolved to be? Who is Diara? Mm-hmm. So I've evolved into being an artist that talked a lot about the education system. I'm an educator that brings art into the classroom. I'm a yogi that also makes sure I, I try to bring that meditation into my teaching as well. And so I would say those are the three pillars in terms of roles that I carry. And I learned, I think I learned to do that the best because I'm the youngest daughter. And so I had a lot of time to really just watch. I watched my parents. I watched my sisters. When they say the babies are watching, like they really mean it. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember a time seeing my sister put on makeup and just studying her and just being like, huh, hmm, that's what that's for. And I had a lot of experiences like that. So I think at a certain point, especially going into college, because I had started at Hampton University. And so going from HBCU to a PWI was definitely a really harsh transition. I had come back home in 2015. Stuff was just, I mean, it's difficult to get a scholarship when you're going to a black school and you're black. <laughs> so, you know, those, those minority scholarships get real thin. So it was just, it was too expensive and it wasn't really flowing with everything that I felt like my family was doing back at home. So I had come home and at that point I transferred to Chatham University, which is a, eh, I guess people describe it as like an elite private institution. It's also a liberal, historically feminist or historically white feminist institution as well. So when I was in that space, there was a lot of these questions of, woof, all right, well, who are you? You know, who are you now? Who are you now that you're not surrounded by other folks that look like you? Because <laughs> that's also a lot of pressure. I think I remember the very first day I went to a fair. It was kind of like a student fair, just getting people involved. And I seen two people of color and she was the black student union president <laughs> and I mean it kind of just went from there that's interesting so you also said something in terms of like your experiences in the education system mm-hmm. is what has led you to the work that you're doing now and I know that you do work around curriculum workshop development through Starseed and Co so can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that by the education shaping you and your experiences leading to what you're doing now for the people absolutely yeah so I graduated from Chatham uh, with a self-designed major of women's entrepreneurship and institutional culture. And so translating the language that we learn as people of color in terms, and, and not necessarily the verbal language, but all of the different nuances that we have, the looks, the side eyes, the just the everything that makes us so awesome and beautiful. Um, that was really hard to find at Chatham. And so I was like, okay, we have to do something different here. Um, so I was really involved with the Black Student Union. I became the president of the Black Student Union. I held that um, presidency for the last two terms. And then I became the student government 
executive president. I remember my first year there, I actually ran for class president. I didn't even, I didn't even know nearly enough people to feel like I needed to run for that. But I was like, oh, there's so many things to change, you know, and I, I immediately wanted to kind of hop into action. But I, I wasn't voted into class president. I was voted into, I think, treasurer. But I understood. I was like, okay, you have the passion. You don't have the people yet. And mm. so that's where I really started to understand you have got to build relationships first. Like relationships is really the richness of anything. Yes, um, mm-hmm. And so I started to just reach out to people. I started to you know, use the support that I had already seen in the Black Student Union to start inviting them into student government meetings. We had we met weekly and it was always open to all of the student body. But, you know, historically, Black folks don't necessarily just go toward where it says student government. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so I had to make it a really intentional bridge. And I think that's something that I found to always be my purpose is to bridge things. I've always struggled being in the middle. I'm, I've always been in the middle of the two friends who are fighting or in the middle of my two sisters who are arguing or I was always that bridge builder. And so I realized, you know, you're one of three people in the entire student government who is a person of color, not even to get into the, you know, dialects or the ethnicities or any of that. I mean, just in general, you're one of three. So making sure that my people were starting to fill the space, I understood that to be a principle that I needed to continue to practice. By the time I had graduated, I was holding three presidents. I was stressed out, Um, but I I had a a legacy that I understood I needed to uphold. And people were peers and some educators. They were thirsty for what I was bringing because they hadn't seen it. And so my culture of just growing up, not only with a Jamaican father, but also with a revolutionary mother and and Mm. my mother's family, who is, I mean, when you say no jokes, we're a largely matriarchal family. So just having that idea and that, that constant practice of what we call feminism, it was just something new that people hadn't seen. And so I think that I started to understand you play a bigger role, you know, than you than you thought you would at this university. So by the time I had created a major and built all the relationships with my peers, gained some rank in terms of who and how I could communicate with the institution and the administration. By the time I had graduated, I had so many community connections that I was really kind of torn in terms of what do I do because at that point I had gotten into a graduate program but it was at the same school it was still at Chatham University but I had given a graduation speech at my commencement as executive president and the administration was not happy about that at all and that I mean that was the day I spoke truth to power a lot of my peers were in tears because I, I shared their testimonies of just what it was and how difficult it really is being at a school where you're not reflected in the books in the lessons in the teachers in the I mean the only place people of color seeing the reflection was in facilities, which is amazing because facilities is really the backbone to how, how any place runs. But seeing that, I knew that there had to be some things that changed. And so I attended the graduate program and I, the graduate program was for a master's in teaching. And it was a partnership kind of deal. So it was between Chatham University and another charter school. And the charter school was mostly filled with African-American students or as they like to quote, at-risk youth or underserved communities, all of those lovely tags. And so I said, okay, you know, here's where I can really make a difference. They're talking about they want teachers for social justice. I'm here for that. But really 
I would say about four or five months in, I realized it was not the program they said that it was. There was a lot of people who were being silenced, people who were being threatened in terms of, you know, you speak up in class and then suddenly you're having a meeting one-on-one and they're telling you, uh, well, remember, you know, I make the final decision if you get your certification to teach or not. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was ridiculous. So I'm like, okay. I, I was going to meetings, having to record meetings because you never knew what was going to happen. So we were going back and forth with that, back and forth. And then I think about October of last year, I was driving a friend home and I was kind of like just venting to her. I was like, this program is ridiculous and it's racist and it's, I mean, it's terrible. I'm getting panic attacks. My self-care is not there. And these are all the things I was really, I was drained because I was pouring into these students by day and then by night going to classes where I had to then pour into the educator or the professor because they had not undone the racism that was already in that institution. And so by that time she had said to me, I think I pulled over and she said, so why are you still there? And a light bulb, I don't know where the light bulb had been the whole time, but a light bulb just went off like, why am I still here? So I started to make arrangements to leave that program. And even just in terms of like legal ramifications, because there's contracts and, you know, this, that, and the third. But I had left the program and decided I was going to do education different and that I was going to put my students first and that they would learn about the system in which they're operating in so that they can create something new. And that's how I came up with the new era of education. And that was the, that wasn't the kickoff, but it was the very first, it was the very first event that I had thrown as Starseed. So as an independent business owner at that point, that was the very first event. And I invited state representatives. I invited principals and administrators. And I allowed the students to really lead the day. It was a lot of project-based learning, a lot of art. You see, like a mural was being crafted. Uh, we were working on silk screens and making shirts and things. And we were having the discussion of what does a new era of education look like? And the students have the answers. I think that's one of the things that drives me is that a lot of times people don't ask kids because we think that they don't know. But truly, they they have exactly what they, what they want and they know what they need. And so I invited adults and professional learners to come in and hear what they had to say. And once the students really started to engage with me, I realized that I was onto something and that I needed to continue to welcome people in in that way and make learning look different. You have been on a roll. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, okay, so you've done all this in how much time? Um, but, But like you were saying, it seems as though it's just in your blood to make change. And you're unapologetic about it. Even, I mean, I I know what your age is. It's actually your birthday. So even thinking about how old you are, I'm thinking like, Dang, girl, already? You're on a level that some people are not, you know, even a few years out of college. And I think that, you know, in so many ways, that's very admirable of you because it takes one gut to be bold and to be bold out loud. And saying that, you know, because of even how you're speaking out of the experiences, you're not tapping around it. You're just saying what's happening and honoring that truth. But also it woke you up to a different truth and it's reflection and it's learning. And I think more than anything, we have to learn from what we've been through. And it seems like you really took that in, but not just learn, but you took it to heart and then you took action. So that, that's really, really dope of you. And so even thinking about what you've done or what you're doing now to change education, something I know about you as well is that you are a yogi. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm fascinated by even your idea of alignment and how you're moving professionally, even with the school, because I'm like, wow, amazing how 
when we align ourselves, things begin to happen. But I am interested to hear a little bit more about, you know, your journey as, as a yogi, what even got you there and how everything is blending for you. Because it's very fascinating worlds. On the one side, you're very artistic. And on the other side, there's a discipline to you that it's like, huh, how'd you bring that together? <laughs> Yeah, yoga has definitely helped with my discipline. I've always been an athlete. I've always just had a lot of energy. So whether it was gymnastics or track and field or softball, I've always been really interested in in sports. And yoga came into my life, I want to say when I was about 12 or 13. And it was actually by way of my mother. So she was waiting for me to be done with swim practice. And my yoga teacher just seen her in the lobby and said, hey, sis, you should just come upstairs and join yoga. I'm about to teach. That woman is now like a godmother to me. (laughs) But in terms of that alignment, it kind of sparked from there. So just being in the, essentially in the right space at the right time, I guess you could say. But as we started doing yoga pretty much weekly, when I was about... 13 and 14, or really really from about 11 to 15, I really struggled with anxiety. And so I remember my mom doing what we call in, in yoga body scans, but almost everybody does it. So she would have me just check in, okay, where's their stress? Start with your head. Now start with the furrow in your brow. Are your eyes tense? Is your mouth tense? Release your jawline. And just really go from the head to the toes. My mother had done that with me for years just to help me go to sleep and to help me just maintain a bit of, of mental health. And so my teacher had opened up a cohort. She decided she wanted to start doing trainings around the city, and she was doing it from an anti-racist perspective. So Raja Yoga, through an anti-racist perspective, opening up really just access to health to our community and our people of color. It's not just about, you know, yoga pants and flexibility. And she made it really, really deep, really intense. I mean, we spent almost, I think it was like 46 hours a month together usually it'd be about three days so on friday like five to nine and then saturday and sunday was eight to eight so we built a sisterhood of of yogis and we really dug into the history of racism and how it's affected our health how it's affected the way that not only our systems are built but also just our societies in the ways that we're segregated and don't realize it. And so once my mother went through her training, I was graduating and I was like, I've kind of, truly, I've always been the one that's just like an overachiever. I'm like, well, I might as well just get my yoga certification because I've been doing it for so long and I'll just do that and get my master's at the same time, which was ridiculously difficult. (laughs) But I started to realize like these really rigorous weekends, I needed them. They were tough, but it was making me ask questions that I hadn't asked and I I felt like after graduating college that I needed something that was going to help me level up. Because sometimes you're in experiences, but you're like, I didn't really feel enriched. I mean, I did a lot, but I didn't feel like anything was poured back into me. And so I trusted the space that she built. So shout out to Miss Felicia Lane Savage. She's amazing. But she got me into yoga and she was like, do the second, do the second cohort. And I said, okay. So it was a nine month training, again, focused on anti-racism. And we brought in the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. And they did some really amazing and rich content just about the history of not even just racism but of race and how we've been racialized and how there's so many pockets of people who were just put under the umbrella of black or just put under the umbrella of white and we went through that entire history and to this day I found that when we just take a moment to breathe there's so many answers that just come to us but just constantly running 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 you don't make any time to receive and so 
being able to just sit with self, I think that's one of the most divine things that I took away from yoga is that you sometimes, it's funny because when you answer earlier, you're like, oh, you heard me talking to myself. And I was thinking like, that's genius. Like we, we, we feel funny talking to ourselves, but it's kind of like who else would have the answer, <laughs> you know? And so just learning to trust that voice that you do talk to, learning to, you know, sit with the anger that you have and and be willing to dig into the root of where it came from. Sometimes it's systemic, but there's also always personal attributes that we have to our own path. And so I just started really taking things by the reins in a way of I'm not going to just be hurting anymore. I'm not just going to be suffering and I'm allowed to feel happy and I, I deserve to feel happy. And sometimes I think as a people, we, we kind of put that second. A lot of times it's like, oh, well, you know, life is life. And if you end up happy, you're lucky. But, but there's a lot of pockets that we could, we could really start to enrich with, with breath and with movement. And so that's really how yoga has come into my life and it really changed my life for the better. I'm fascinated. And here's why. You answered some of the questions that I had in my head as you were as you were speaking, and those are really around how have you been able to find space as a yogi in a community that is predominantly white, but to even hear that there's this, it, where you are, this black movement of black yogis, I'm fascinated because it's not something I hear every day in spite of the fact that I know maybe one or two women and even from like a virtual space who are yoga masters, and so I said that right, right? No, yoga masters? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so yoga masters. And so even from, you know, what that is, it's, it's, it's interesting that there's a whole community dedicated not just to the practice of yoga, but to the education of of self through a a, a racial lens. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> because cause I, cause I know when we talked before, I was like, you know, well, how, how have you been able to navigate in this space? So even now, what I want to ask you, especially for those who are listening and may be interested in becoming yoga masters themselves, especially those who are black women, what advice would you give to them for pursuing such a goal in a space that, you know, sometimes feel like it's not created for me. This is not my lane. What do you tell them? Mm -hmm. I tell them to sit before bed. So right before you go to bed or right as you're waking up, just sit for a few moments and just allow stuff to download. Because one of the things that I've taken away, not only from yoga, but the yoga definitely helped me to broaden this perspective is that we humans as vessels, we're constantly in communication with so many things around us, whether it's the paper that you just read and your brain's formulating through all the images, whether it's a laptop or a phone screen or just the true universe, especially as black women, our, our divine connection to the universe and to this world. When we just sit for a moment, things will become so clear. And we deserve that time. You know, we give, you wake up, hop out of bed, go to work or go to this place, go to that place. We're racing everywhere. But I have found that sometimes the most successful way to just start that practice is to take that moment for you before you even open up your eyes, just allowing yourself to sit and think, okay, I'm here. I'm grounded, right? I'm happy. I'm blessed or, or however, you know, you would like to describe it. And just affirming yourself. In my yoga classes, we affirm ourselves like the, the entire time. <laughs> It'll be an hour and a half of us laying down and just saying, wow, I'm so dope. I'm amazing. I'm gorgeous. I am so smart. That thing you did the other day was so funny. 
just things like that, making space for you to be the champion. That is really, I did an interview, I just got to put this, I did an interview and both of the interviews that I've had today, and I know that these won't air back to back, but I'm so fascinated. Both of you have mentioned taking up space and owning the space that you're in and like I'm like okay that's the message I get it so uh, (laughs) listen to this podcast and you've heard Dr. Harris and now you hear Diara listen to what they're saying you take up space and I love the idea of self-advocacy but how you've also added the component of affirmation you know the interview I had with Dr. Harris was really awesome and I bring her up because the language that you all have spoken to me today is just so consistent even in a sense of having to stand up for yourself and I think that's a message that we as first gens need to hear over and over again that we have to be advocates of, of self and we have to be willing to to take chances and go the extra mile but for you to even say affirm yourself to say that you are dope and to say that you are smart and funny and all those things I tried it myself recently for a month I did like a month of just straight up affirmations and it changed my world completely more than just gratitude saying every day to myself you dope you know like you said you, you got this you a millionaire you know whatever it is saying that and putting it out there and it's amazing how the energy comes back so yeah kudos kudos for that a lot of, a lot of interesting things about this conversation I said interesting because I'm being exposed to something new like how you didn't taught me today and I love learning so even how you taught me about some of the culture up there in Pittsburgh I haven't been up there yet and I can't tell you that I fully know everything going on everywhere in the world, but I am interested in how you've been able to, I guess for lack of better words, to navigate professionally in a way that you're not burning bridges to, or is it even possible? And I ask that because some people are going to listen to this, and I mean, sometimes listen to what I said, I'm going to say, but like, yeah, I'm going to take over. But then there's a way that, you know, I think there may be a way to do everything. So just your perception on that, because maybe it's just that bridges need to be burned. But all of our conversations made me think of that itself. Like, because you're in a, a place that's clearly sensitive to race. And like you said, it's up north. But I'm like, Pittsburgh? But I'm like, maybe I just hadn't heard enough. Was Pittsburgh where that thing happened with Starbucks and the black guys? Um, no, it was that Philly? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't was, think it was in Pittsburgh. Okay, it was, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do some research, but it was in Pennsylvania too. But nonetheless, you know, you don't. For me, I don't typically expect to hear these things for northern areas, especially a place like Pennsylvania, where I'm like, you know, from what I could gather from people, it's supposed to be so much further along. But this is surprising, and it's a major city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Pittsburgh is very good at branding. That's what I can say <laughs> in terms of just the culture of the city. Um, even now, today, the students that I was working with, they actually just put a march together to represent the unity that they do have in the Black community. One of the organizers who is 13, she said, you know, I don't even want this to be about a whole bunch of other things. I just want people to get used to seeing Black people come together. And that was their mission for the march. And the city right now is really, really hot. We're also coming off of a policeman recently was the, the trial was pretty much overturned and he was released as innocent after murdering a young black boy and so and those things are happening pretty frequently all over but a lot of people Pittsburgh isn't isn't on the top of people's minds but it absolutely happens here and because it's so segregated and it's so small it's very easy to get swept under any rug so the city's making a lot of noise right now in terms of protests and resistance and so in terms of 
how I navigate the city very, very intentionally for sure. I'm definitely very intentional with the way that I show up in a space. I'm always a student advocate first. And there has been times I would say with Chatham that some educators felt like I burned bridges because I spoke the truth. And I had to be in a space where I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. If that's, you know, if, if truth is what burns your bridge, then we don't need to connect. And just being willing to let go of that because you know, a pe- people will uphold you so quick. You know, like, I mean, people were sharing videos of my speech. I mean, after there were some professors that felt like I shouldn't be allowed to even get my my degree because they didn't agree with some things I said in the commencement speech. And so showing up for each other, I think that's one of the most revolutionary things we can do. And we have to continue to practice that because institutions on a large, grander scale, they're not here for the people. They're here for the business, right? So the way that I interact with people professionally is that I try to be very intentional and put out there, I'm here for the students, right? Also telling them what my history is. I do a lot of work with an organization called Youth Undoing Institutional Racism. I'm with Yoga Roots on Location. So these are some names that around Pittsburgh, people are like, oh, okay, I I see, I understand the way that you move. And then also I just try to, I follow my intuition. That was one of the first things I said I would do as like while opening up you know, starseed and just breaking away from what what I felt safe in, which was the university, I had to make a pact to myself, like, you know you. And regardless of any degree that you feel like you need, you're the expert of your own experience. And that's an affirmation that I speak to myself and to my peers as often as possible. Because a lot of times the fear of breaking the bridge is, oh no, how am I going to, you know, make it in the future? If I have to pull on this string, what will I do? But we are experts of our experience and of our history and of our testimony. And so going forth with my intuition is always my very first route because that was given to me before anything else. I would say that's probably my biggest piece of advice for that. I'm down with that. (laughs) Um, I'm down with that. And a lot of what I do in the area of personal development, or I like to say personal transformation, is really about self-awareness. And so for you to even, you know, say at the end of the day, it's really about you knowing who you are. And you said, like, again, what makes me comfortable? I think that was good advice because... It's not that we don't always do well operating outside of our comfort zone because a lot of times that's, you know, how you are exposed to something new. That's how you grow. But even for you to say, find your space because sometimes maybe you need to shake it up and maybe you're not comfortable shaking it up. If you're not, then be okay with that. And just in this conversation, and I don't talk a whole lot about race and my feelings about race and what's going on with it because I just don't think it's appropriate. And I say appropriate, not to be negative, like, oh, how do I clean this up? I think that there's different conversations to be had. I'm not a social media protester. I'm not a social media advocate, because some people just like to have the conversations out loud and then they do nothing behind closed doors. So behind closed doors, I love to have these conversations about race. I guess, like I said, in appropriate context. So that's probably the better way to really say what I'm trying to say. Right um, here. Be able to have conversations about what does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be a woman? How do you navigate? How do you move? How do you learn? How do you educate? How do you do all of these things to still tap into your greatness, although a person of color? And as I talk to people about, you know, in some instances, not just to be first generation, because that's, you know, the greatest part of what this platform is about. It's about being first generation college graduates. But there are so many other things that are put on top of that. Such a great accomplishment to be a first generation college graduate. Nobody has done what you've done before. You know, you have gone and you have achieved it. Even for somebody like you, you went to a really dope school you know in spite of some of the some of the adversities you experienced like you did that but then to get out into the world and to try to figure out how to navigate socially 
and professionally, how to change social classes. What does it mean to handle this new money that you've never had? And then to add on the idea of being black and how society may shape you, may not shape you. So many complexities and so many intersectionalities to who we are, but I like that there are honest spaces like this one, which I've tried to create for us to talk about the different elements of being first gen and yours is, to me especially, you have been very supported, especially with your parents and very guided. And the other thing is, you know, not that they held your hand, but they have played a very active role in shaping who you are as a person. Whereas, you know, some people as first generation college graduates or just first gen period, their parents are a little bit more hands off. Not that their parents are bad, they're busy trying to make it for the family. So, you know, it's a fortunate thing for you to even say, well, as a first gen, you can still decide as a, as an adult what kind of parent you're going to be, what kind of professional you're going to be, so then you can pass along what you didn't have to your children should you have them. So a lot of depth to this conversation, but it's definitely needed because you see we really hadn't gotten on the questions, which I, which I actually like, though, because it, this I want these real and raw conversations for people to be exposed and people to be able to connect with this work, you know, for what it's worth. But I do know we're at a point where, you know, going to have to wrap up because I, I want y'all who listen and try to be tuning out right now. Um, but I, I would be curious to know, though, just thinking of all the things, and this is one of the questions that I try to ask everyone, thinking of all the things that you've experienced thus far, what would you say has been some of the best advice that you have gotten from anyone about just really this journey of life or just in your development? Like, yeah, what is what is something that you've been told that's just like, this really changed me? Ooh, um, ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, we deep, we deep. <laughs> You're like, we gonna stay right here. I would say the first three things that pop into my mind. My mother has always said, whenever I'm like nervous about, oh, well, I think I want to do this thing or I'm not sure. She would say the worst thing anybody can say to you is no. So why not just do it? That would definitely be one of them because she has helped me to become, I mean, not fearless. I do, I do use common sense, but very ambitious. My father has always said, when you're in the right, stay in the right. And that is, I mean, that's something I think comes from his culture of honor in terms of how you carry a name, how you create a legacy. That has stuck with, stuck with me in every decision that I make. Because sometimes it's real easy to just slip into the wrong, even if you feel like it's justified. However, and then I would say the third thing is the most recent thing I heard from my yoga teacher. And she said, the universe does not punish. And that was a, a situation where I felt like, oh, well, maybe I just need to go through it to understand. And she said, no, the universe does not punish. So if you are in pain or uncomfortable, you need to check your surroundings and opt out of whatever is making you feel that way. Mm, that is interesting. <laughs> yeah, she said that and I was like, oh, you got it. So yeah, those are my top three. I'm definitely with the top three. The last one is really catching me. Again, one of those conversations and I, and I tell people, I love these interviews so much. Like I can talk all day, but I'm like, no, you can't talk all day. <laughs> so much to unpack, right? Especially from the, the fact that you believe in being focused in alignment with your chakras and stuff. And, you know, like you, there's something you wrote about opening your third eye and, and enlightenment. So there's things that, again, how you operate in your space is really like, and how, who you put yourself around is even impacting me. But not just me, everybody who will listen to this and then everybody who they will go and tell something that they got from this. So it's so, again, so universal, right? But the idea that the universe doesn't punish, I've never, never heard that and never even considered it. But I guess it's kind of going to the to the point of energy matters. So I guess that would be that energy. And some people just have low energy, low vibrations. Like they, you you know, and it's hard to bring a vibration up if it's low. <laughs> for, for other people, it's a lot of work. That is, that is really, really fascinating. So on the flip side, actually, and, and as we actually, 
actually bringing this conversation to a close. Don't be too sad, okay? Don't be too sad. <laughs> but it's been definitely fulfilling, and we may actually have to just kind of like reconnect again and continue the conversation because it is so rich. But I'd like to know from you, and um, you know, this is my probably my favorite question of all to ask. What is it that you want to leave the people with? What message, what thought um, would you like for us to carry with us from you for the rest of our lives? It would be that there's there's no room for fear where there's space and to trust that you either win or you learn and you never lose. All right, I'm going to take that too. <laughs> oh, look, Diara, you are so, so wonderful. I know that, you know, again, our, our time is limited, but that doesn't mean that you are disconnected from everyone. So if you will, please let the people know where they can find you on social media and how they can collaborate with you. They want to or just, you know, connect with your work, period. That would be really fantastic if we can do that. Absolutely. So on social media, for Instagram specifically, you can find me at Diara Imani, which is D-I-A-R-R-A-I-M-A-N-I. That's my personal as well as my artist page. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at bloom, like the flower bloom, underscore starseed. And that's my business page where you can get more information about not only my yoga practice, but also my curriculum and my workshop development too. Awesome, awesome. Look, thank you so very much for your time, for your energy, for your wisdom. I'm pretty sure you've heard this before, but you are wise for your age. <laughs> you know, and it's like, again, I know we're not that far apart, but now I see how some people have seen me or they go, you know, you wise for age. I'm like, oh, what you mean? I ain't old. But it's, it's about the wisdom and it's about being aware. It's about taking in what you've been given by other people and not taking it for granted. So I can admire that that characteristic a whole lot. But um, until the next time, thank you again. Thank you so very much and wishing you well and all that's ahead. Yes. Thank you, Dr. E. You are so, so, so welcome.